welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have J.D. Sustar on with us here today, and he is the Financial Cowboy, and you can find him at the Financial Cowboy with all his social media links, and he's very active on on the social, so make sure you head over to that website and uh, follow on your preferred method, but financecowboy.com. I really appreciate your time here today, J.D. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. So... Uh, I I find it really interesting uh, in these numbers, according to the information I have in front of me, probably has changed already, but yeah, 22 rental properties in three years. Um, has that number changed? Uh, it's actually going down. I sold my first one. So oh, we're down so to 21. Yeah, I, I probably need to update that. So yeah, I, uh, I sold the first property I ever bought. I actually um, sold it not long ago. Is there a reason why you decided to sell? Well, no, not really. A wholesaler kept... Um, well, I'll take that back. There is a wholesaler kept knocking on my door, knocking on my door, knocking on my door. And finally I responded to him and said, you know, I'd sell it at this particular price, which was double what I bought it for a few years ago. And they agreed and I didn't have to do any work. I didn't have to get rid of a tenant. And, um, and so I sold it and I'm actually in the process of buying an insurance company. So, uh, it's always nice to have a little bit of ca extra cash when you're starting a company. So that's, uh, that was a benefit. I've seen a, a few investors lately buying businesses versus just real estate. Is that, uh, is, it sounds like this is relatively new to you as well. Yeah, it is. I, um, you know, real estate for me has always, I still work full time. I'm in medical equipment sales. And so real estate has always been a way for me to park my money. Um, you know, there is ways to make active income with real estate, you know, through wholesaling and flipping. Uh, but a lot of what I've done, has, you know, I've parked my money and I have passive income and coming off with cash flow. But anybody who's done this long enough, if you're not buying them in cash and you're buying them with mortgages, it takes a number of them to build up, you know, with mortgages to where you're going to have enough cash flow to live. So, I've looked at it as a vehicle to really park my money, whereas these businesses, um, you know, there's essentially, you know, opportunity for infinite return, depending on how good your marketing is, your networking is, your sales are. And so, you know, I think a lot of people who get into real estate are folks who love challenges, who love complex situations. So that, that may be why you see a lot of those people going to businesses is the opportunity to make more income. And it's a new challenge. Why not take it on? Yeah. Well, so have you had personal, you know, we probably should spend this information on another podcast, maybe sometimes regarding business ownership, because it's like I said, it's, it's really interesting. A lot of people are heading in that direction. What attracted you to acquiring an insurance company? Is there some background there? Other I have than no, medical sales? <laughs> no, you would think, you know, possibly they could correlate, but it, it doesn't at all. I, um, you know, I, have, I personally have no insurance background selling insurance, but I, I love the idea um, of the recurring revenue that is that is very you know uh, appealing to me. And there was an older gentleman in my church who I knew he's done well and he's getting up there in age. And so I just started peppering him. Hey, you ever want to sell this company? Hey, and it's been five years. And I'd ask him twice a year. Every year I put it in my calendar to send him a text and he finally buckled. He's like, I'm ready. I'm ready to sell it. And, um, you know, so I, I'm hopping into it, you know, really, like I said, the, the recurring, the recurring revenue. And then, you know, I enjoy, I've had like some smaller businesses by myself, um, you know, throughout the years, but 
I, I'm looking forward to being able to build a culture and build a team and go out and achieve goals together and then help people. I, I actually believe in the insurance that I'm selling. Number one, we're doing Medicare for elderly folks. And number two, I'll, I'll, I'll help a lot of young people like myself get term life insurance, which I'm a, I'm a huge believer in. And so those are kind of the two we're focusing on. And I am super excited about it. Right. Well, uh, so let's get back to real estate investing. You know, uh, a lot of people that listen to the show, I think this is for the case for a lot of real estate investing podcasts are relatively new. They kind of cycle in and out. So what are your tips and strategies associated with funding your first deal? Like, let's say somebody is getting into uh, trying to uh, acquire their first rental. There's a couple of ways you can go about it and it depends what strategy you're using. Obviously, I think the easiest way to acquire your first rental is if you house hack. You can go get an FHA loan, put three and a half percent down. You live in one room, rent out the other two rooms. Or if you buy a multifamily, you live in one unit, you know, rent out the other three. That's going to be your easiest way because that's the least amount of money you have to put down. Uh, the second route, you know, would be a conventional loan where you're putting 20 percent down and you're getting pretty good terms, you know, a fixed fixed rate for 30 years. Uh, with a with a decent interest rate. And then, you know, the third route would be commercial uh, loans, which I do a lot of my properties. And a lot of those, you know, you're going to, those are going to be done with local lenders. And so my uh, advice there, and it's something I've done early in my career is build relationships with the local banks, you know, the guys who they're not all over the country, but, you know, you can talk to a guy who can actually underwrite his own property because you can make decisions. Obviously, they're going to look at numbers and financials, but then they start trusting you as a person as you go along as well. Now, your terms aren't going to be quite as great. You're going to put 20% down. Interest rate's going to be a little higher. Oftentimes, there's going to be a balloon in there that you're going to have to refi out of at some point. Um, but, uh, you know, you don't get capped out and, it, and those commercial loans don't affect your personal credit. And you can essentially get as many properties as the lenders will, you know, keep lending to you. So, and this might be a different answer depending on the situation here now, but um, compared to what you did when you first started out and what you're doing now, how would you recommend somebody find that first property? Man, that is, uh, that, that's definitely changed. When I first started in 2018, you could hop on the MLS, you know, in a lot of places in the country and find a property. And now in, in certain areas, you still can. I live in the upstate of South Carolina and there I'm still finding plenty of deals that are just listed on Zillow. Um, but outside of that, I think you need to build, you know, it's all about networking and having a team. So one of the things, the first thing I tell everybody, you know, I feel like people think it's kind of like rocket science to try and find these deals, but it's actually not like it can get very complex, but just start by telling everybody, you know, in your community, uh, and social media everywhere that you buy rental properties. And so everybody in my town and my network, you know, all my buddies, all my coworkers, they know I buy rentals. Real estate agents know I buy rentals. I work with locksmith. I tell, hey, you go to a house that's vacant or run down, let me know. You know, and then just, you know, working with other investors, letting them know, letting realtors know. And so, you know, really getting the word out there. And you'll be surprised how many properties just get bought to brought to you that way. And then there's an active way of finding properties. And that's going to be, you know, you're driving for dollars, knocking on doors, you're sending out mailers, or you're cold calling. Um, you know, different owners to see if they would sell to you. Yeah. You know, I can't, I can't emphasize that enough too, because I, I've, I've found that as soon as people start doing that and putting that, that forward in their life and telling people that they're real estate investors, it becomes like a, a self manifestation, if you will. It, it helps you get your mindset right. And it stops being a, a hobby. It, it helps you get into the proper mindset when you introduce yourself as an actual investor. Agreed. 100%. So um, 
with, you know, you, you opened a can of worms a little bit there regarding the current situation. Like, uh, wh- where do you see the economy going right now? And what are you doing to prepare yourself? Let me, I'm going to grab my crystal ball and uh, I'm joking. Everybody, you know, that's the big question right now. It's like, man, don't we all wish that we could see, you know, what's going to happen? I believe the overall economy is going to be shaky for a little while. That's my, that's my guess. As far as homes go, because we're in inflation, if you, you know, look at inflation over history, uh, real assets do good. So I'm not worried about real estate. I'm really not. You know, I think our generation is jaded because we lived through 08, 09. And so we automatically think, oh, the market's going down, real estate's going to tank. You know, there was a lot of other things involved during that, a lot of bad lending. Not quite as bad lending. The supply is still very short. Uh, People do still have money. And so I think real estate will continue to go up. Is it going to slow down a little bit? Probably. You know, I don't think you're going to get, you know, 50, 60,000 over asking quite as much. Property's going to sit a little bit longer. But as far as a crash in the real estate world, I think I think values will, will you know kind of stabilize and can continue to go up at a more conservative rate. So, for me personally, I'm still buying. Uh, when I come across, it's all a numbers game, you know. And you look at interest rates; people are freaked out about current interest rates. Well, when I bought my first rental property, property my commercial rate was five point seven five. They're right around there right now. So to me, it's like you know that's where I was when I started. And it you know I plug my numbers into my calculator, and if it spits out good deals, then I you know and it's in the good area, and then it checks all the boxes, and I'll roll with it. And you know I could tell people to continue to do that. You know as far as you know the the stock market and things like that. You know I do think that's going to continue to go down. It's probably not awful to keep a little bit of cash on hand, but um, you know continue buying real estate if you're asking me. Yeah, and in, in fact, every time that I've I've been asked something about that, if you look at the statistics, it's always been the east and the west coasts and the and oceanfront property, if you will, that those are those situations where we saw the huge price swings when it comes to real estate, where everybody does the majority of their investing and holds actual rental property. We didn't really see, you know, we might have seen a 10 point reduction here and there, but it wasn't like these huge swings we saw on the East and West coast. And people still need a place to live. You know, if you have a a long-term rental property, you know, you may, you know, people may be a little later on rent, but you realize that when, when crap hits the fan, a lot of people get some help and, you know, the investors get help, you know, lenders start allowing you to, you know, push off loan payments a little bit. You know, the renters, they end up getting some help some way, whether it's from the government or whatever. So uh, people need to need a place to live. It could get squirrely for, you know, a little bit, but I don't see it being catastrophic. And, you know, you just keep reserves and work with your folks and, do things right and you'd be okay. Uh, in fact, th- this is the perfect opportunity to take advantage of a few things because um, this this is one of those things that I've always, I, I continue to notice is that, you know, I we buy quite a few properties from distressed landlords. You know, they've just had it. They don't want to deal with it anymore. But one of the things that it has always been consistent is that they never keep up with market rents for some reason. This is where that is actually fluctuating in your benefits. So uh, mm-hmm. it, you Keep an eye on that. Um, I, I don't know what your thoughts are there, but yeah, no, and you know, to, to dig in on something you just said there, you look for distressed investors. I think that is one of the biggest honey holes of buying properties. You know, a lot of people, you know, you'll see them teaching cold call owner occupied. That's hard. Cold call on owner occupied is hard. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you can reach out to investors and let them know you're willing to buy, somebody's going to run. You're going to run into somebody who's got properties that they're tired of dealing with. And if you have systems and processes and can manage better, it's going to be a gold mine for you. So that's a yeah. that's a really good point. 
Well, look at you. I mean, you're you're buying your first insurance company, uh, essentially in that situation, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And I sold. Look at my first property that I just sold. It was the first property I bought. It wasn't a bad situation, but I knew for me to get that ready to sell at market value, I had a lot of work to do, and I was going to have to get rid of tenants. And uh, you know, so an investor came along to me. And I don't want to say they bailed me out because I wasn't in a you know a rough situation, but it was like, hey, this is an easy out, you know, mm-hmm. it's an easy out. And so they're getting a good deal. I got a good deal, and everybody moves on happy. Right. So what is what is your portfolio portfolio made up of right now for the most part? Um, so we're gonna have um, I don't know if I get this exactly right. Somewhere around 12, 11, 12 long term rentals. I got a mini mobile home park. I think there's seven mobile homes. And then I have two short-term rentals in Charleston County, South Carolina, in a gated community called Seabrook Island. Okay. Is there a certain uh, type of property you're looking for right now regarding your long-term rentals? I look for about the same type of property every time. I want the C, C minus to B plus area in our area. Those are normally uh, brick ranch homes. I really like three, two, three bed, two bath for long-term rentals. Um, that are, you know, need some value add. And so that's kind of what I look for. When I first started buying in this area, I was buying them around $75,000. And uh, now they're up to about 115000 125000 those same types of properties. But now they're renting for $1,400, $1,500. And so that's kind of my sweet spot of what I look for in a long-term rental. Sure. So you're exceeding that 1% rule that everybody talks about. Yeah, I try to. You know, I, I was on a podcast earlier today and we were talking about this. You'll, you'll hear folks, people try to pigeonhole real estate investing, and I just don't think you can. Folks, I only buy cash flowing properties. It's got a cash flow of 500 bucks a month or 400 bucks a month. And, you know, while I think that's good and dandy, I don't think they're telling the full truth because it, it, it just, I don't think that's realistic. I don't think you can scale as fast. And so there's been times where I've bought properties for cash flow purposes. I would love to cash flow four or 500 bucks, 300 bucks on every long-term rental. But I'd be lying if I didn't say there hasn't been rentals that I bought that break even, or I make a few, you know, 50 bucks a month off of them. Because in my mind, you know, uh, yes, I'm playing the long-term game. So again, for me, it was a great place to park, especially early on is a great place to park my wealth. And so I was like, okay, if I don't make a ton of cash flow, that's okay. I'm going to have this forced appreciation plus market appreciation. And then these tenants are going to be buying down my debt for me. And so, you know, you look at that net worth spread over time. And then if you just hold on to them and they get paid off, you know, then you got, you know, a lot of cash coming in. And so that's kind of my mindset. I do a mix of both, but I don't, I don't pigeonhole it to, you know, one, one thought process. Sure. Can you talk a little bit about your underwriting process? Like what, what, how do you, how do you uh, determine that it's a deal that's a fit for you? Yep. So uh, here's a couple plugs. I actually just released a 19 point checklist and uh, you guys, the best way is probably DM me on uh, Instagram or social media and ask for it. But it gives me a list of everything I look for when I'm analyzing a property. So it goes through all of that. And I'll talk through some of those here in a second. And then I have a calculator that I use and I also offer to people if they want to uh, purchase it where you plug in those numbers. You're going to plug in your mortgage, your, you know, your interest rate, the taxes, insurance, maintenance, vacancy, property management. If you got to cover utilities, HOAs, and then it's going to spit out. You're going to get your cash flow. You're going to get your cap rate. You're going to get your cash on cash return. And so I will not buy a property without plugging my numbers in there and, um, you know, feeling very confident doing it conservatively, um, you know, making sure it's a good deal for me. And again, jumping back to what I just said, you know, it, 
there is no right or wrong answer for me uh, when I look at those properties. If I run our numbers on my pro on a property and I'm at bottom dollar and it's going to cash flow negative 100, negative 200, bad, terrible cap rate, you know, terrible cash flow, cash return, negative cash flow, I'm not going to move forward. But if it, you know, if it's cash flowing 100, 200 bucks, cap rates 8%, cash on cash return 8 to 10% on the low end, uh, I'll normally take a chance with that, you know, because a lot of times that cash on cash return doesn't uh, factor in tenant buy down, doesn't factor in tax benefits. So that's kind of like my bottom, you know, bottom of the barrel. And then anything up from there is, you know, gravy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's just so many variables associated with, with the cash on cash return. I mean, I've, like you said, I've, I've, we've we've bought a a few houses that we thought is going to be a home run and then it just takes the air conditioning going out or sewer issue or something and then it just destroys the cash flow for a year mm -hmm. so but um with all that being said you know you 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 came across this seven trailer park mini trailer park yeah. like how did you come across this this place so my best friend who got me into real estate, uh, we partner on some properties and he actually called me and they manage a large fund now. So he doesn't bring me deals anymore. Unfortunately, I invest in their fund. So I get his deals, but you know, I used to get all the sweet deals that he'd want to partner with, but, uh, he brought it to me. It was seven mobile homes and two, um, single family homes were on the property as well. And, uh, one thing with mobile homes, if anybody's listening to this and interested in it, you always want to make sure you own the land. You know, don't ever buy, in my opinion, mobile homes. If you're just buying the mobile homes, you don't own the land. You need to own the land. And then as a benefit, you can own the mobile homes. Um, so we, we move forward on it because the cash flow is great. Uh, obviously, with a mobile home, you're pretty much buying a depreciating asset as far as the actual units itself. Uh, so I don't normally recommend starting out with a mobile home as your first investment. I really like building that foundation with those single family long term rentals. And then as you build that foundation, I bought this mobile home two, three years into my portfolio journey and it's a good cash flow play. And so we decided to add it to the portfolio. Yeah. I've, I've only run into a couple people that have made like, well, one person was like essentially flipping mobile homes. And then the other one was, he basically holds the paper, you know, yeah. does like a contract for deed. Those are the only couple people that have, that have made that kind of thing work as far as I can tell. Yeah. So I just want to remind everybody financialcowboy.com to find those social media links uh, so you can take advantage of what JD was offering there regarding the his checklist and if you're interested in his calculator that type of thing um, hit hit him up there. So um, I'm I'm curious as to like you've been doing this for a few years here now. Tell us, uh, give us an example. What was one of your one of your worst deals or one of your worst decisions, and what did you learn from it? I think a bad decision I made, and this wasn't, you know, didn't kill me, but I think it's good for people to know as they're getting into real estate investing, when you're buying a rental, you want to make it quality enough to where you would live in it and it's good for a tenant. You know, if tenants need something fixed, they got an issue, like I'm a landlord who takes care of that stuff. But you don't want to go overboard and go turning a property so nice to where it could actually be a flip and you could resell it. And early on, I remember doing that with two properties. I really made them nice, but then I kept them as rentals. And so you've put, you know, $15,000 in it, super nice. Yeah, you're getting, you know, a little bit higher rent, but then when that tenant moves out, these guys and gals, a lot of times when it, all of us have the tendency when it's not ours, we don't take care of it as good as we should. And so you leave, you know, they leave and now you got holes in the wall and the nice flooring that you've done is cracked and, you know, plumbing issues and this and that. And so my, you know, I, I did that one 
you know, two of my first three properties. And I would advise anybody doing this, do not, um, do not make that same mistake I did. Just put enough in it to get it nice quality rentable. And then when they leave, you won't, you know, you can fix it back up again, but you won't have to do as much work and you won't eat as much uh, of your capital up. You know, on the, on the flip side, what was, give me, give me an example of what was your biggest home run so far? I believe all of them have, that it sounds ridiculous, but they, because of the market. So don't let me act like I'm this, you know, amazing, um, you know, fortune teller over here, but, but because I bought when I did and I, and I overcame my fear and took the chance, they've all been a really good deal. But I would say uh, a, a good home run deal was the first one I bought that I just sold for, you know, double what I paid for. And then another one, I just got under contract an hour ago before we hopped on this. It was the second Airbnb that I purchased on Seabrook Island. I bought it last year for two eighty five, and it's under contract for four sixty right now. Oh wow! Great. And uh, so that's a pretty, and especially with me purchasing this new business to be flush with cash. I told you the first one, and now you know now I have this one as well. You know, it just makes you feel good when you're going into a new endeavor like that. Um, you know, they say businesses fail because they don't have cash. Well, now you know I should have some cash, and so I'm excited about that. And that was a home run, man. It was it's cash flowed. It cash flowed. You know, eight fifty to nine hundred a month while I had it the last year. I got the one right across the street, and I'm keeping that's doing that. And then I've had all this appreciation, and so that was that's been a big win. Yeah, well, you're doing pretty well with your short term rentals then. Yeah, they're doing really good. And I'll tell you, man, a lot of people are making more per month on short term rentals than I am. I get hammered with HOA fees where I'm at because it's mm. it's this real nice island. So you know, I'm I'm my profits getting eaten up, and I have a property manager too, and I'm still netting around eight fifty a month. Um, so, you know, if I didn't have all of that, you could, you know, I know folks making 1500 a month off one property in short-term rental. So has the HOA ever kind of, uh, breathed down your net regarding having a short-term rental in there? Have you had any inklings that that could eventually become a problem? No. Um, they, you know, I did my due diligence before I bought it. They are, they were short-term rental friendly. Uh, they have their systems in place. You got to have your sign on the wall. You got to pay your business license. You got to pay your short-term rental fee. And so, um, they're fans of it. So I feel confident moving forward that that'll continue to be, be the same thing. But anybody looking to get into short-term rental, that should be one of the first things you look at. Is this a short-term rental friendly area? Has it been for a long time? So I think we can look at history and see if a place has always loved short-term rentals. Is that where a lot of their money's coming in? Uh, because if so, it's going to stay that way most likely. And you can feel confident moving forward. You're not going to have somebody throw a wrench in that and screw your whole plan up. Well, you're likely getting quite a few first-time investors now knocking on your door asking for advice and some direction and getting getting some training what are some of those beginner mistakes that you you consistently run into that uh you'd advise people to avoid knowing your numbers i preach this if you follow me on social media i mean half of my posts are me holding my phone up to the computer analyzing properties teaching people how to analyze properties uh because there is really no worse mistake than you can make than thinking you're going to make this amount of money, but in reality, you're actually going to lose this amount. Or you're only going to make such and such amount. And so going into a property, knowing exactly what every number is going to be as close as you possibly can, because you'll be surprised, man. I, um, I get a lot of messages from a lot of people who, who question, Hey man, I just thought cash flow was, um, you know, rents minus mortgage. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 no. Please don't do that because you're going to think you're going to make bank on all these properties. You still got maintenance and vacancy and taxes and insurance. And so really knowing what you're doing there before you ever get started is key. Yeah. And and uh, 
I, I'm going to echo that. Plus, add uh, not only stick to your numbers, but uh, keep the emotion out of it. I'm I'm surprised how many people will base it on a gut instinct or or some sort of feeling. It it's uh, just stick to the numbers. Yeah, and I'll, yeah, <laughs> I still have to fight emotion to this day, and I've done a lot of different deals, and uh, it's it is very easy to creep in, and that's why I like using my calculator so much, is because. As soon as like, yeah, because you'll sit there and you'll try to make the numbers make sense. And if you just look, they don't make sense. At that point, motion aside, put logic in front of you. It doesn't make sense. Move on to the next one. There's other fish in the sea. Right. No. So talk about a little bit about, uh, you know, as, as well as the beginners, there's always beginners who are, they they struggle a little bit with finding that the money for the down payment. We already covered that regarding the first time home buyers. And, and it's always interesting because I keep bringing this up too, is that a lot of people, first time home buyers don't realize that it can be up to four units for the most part, as long as it hand, it, it qualifies for first time home buyer, take advantage of that cheap money. But um, the other aspect is, is personal debt, you know, because it impacts their personal credit score so much. Do you have any tips and strategies on how people can get control of any of their personal debt? Like if they are struggling getting a loan because of current financial, um, right? Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I'm a huge proponent and you know, I get a lot of backlash on this, um, you know, on my different platforms, I love the idea of taking care of your finances at home before you go investing in real estate. Um, if you have bad consumer debt, get rid of it. Could you invest while having bad consumer debt? Sure, people do it. They try to play the spread, but sometimes there is no spread, right? That interest rate is guaranteed. The spread's not guaranteed that you know, you're gonna have a 4% interest rate on the property, but it's gonna return 10. There's no guarantee of that. And so if you have those credit card um, you know, that credit card debt, that student loan debt, even vehicles. I don't like having vehicle debt. I just do not like consumer debt at all. Um, tidy that up, get you three to six months of an emergency fund for your personal life. And at that point, now you can go invest and feel confident that you have this solid foundation and crap's not going to hit, you know, hit the fan and you'd be screwed and you're not building this house on sand. You're building, you know, building it on solid ground. And you're going to be okay for the long term. Yeah. No, I knew you had that opinion and I wanted to call that out just because I think it's 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 almost a little short-sighted of us as real estate investors because we look, you know, we we talk about the four quadrants associated with the the profit centers of real estate investing. And there's the cash flow and the depreciation and the amortization and the appreciation. However, um I think what we also miss you know, I even have people that come on the show and, and they will use personal credit cards to buy that, buy their assets, you know, they, they, anything and everything they can. But, but the problem I have with that is the fact that let's say we buy a property that is, a, we're lucky and we get a 12% cash on cash return, but you're sitting on credit card desk that you're paying 20% interest rate. I mean, things are, are out of balance there in my, in my mind. And, and, uh, you'd be better off in some, in some ways paying off that personal credit card. Yeah. I mean, that's my stance, my stance, 100%. Uh, it, that's just bad debt. It's bad debt. You know, a lot of people not to go on the credit card train. A lot of people, well, I get, you know, points and cash back and this, and it's like, great. If, you know, if you have the, if you have the discipline to be able to pay it off, 
and you want to play with fire, go ahead. But a lot of people, the data shows that most people in America play with fire and they get burned and then they get stuck down this long hole that affects them for years and years and years. And it really kills their financial future. So, well, just a reminder for everybody, financialcowboy.com. I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes. But uh, we're going to end here now with uh, some rapid fire, J.D. Are you ready? Let's do it. So what was the best business advice you've ever received? Pay now, play later. And that's life advice. Put in the work now and you can play later. If you want to play now, then you're going to pay for it later. What's the piece? What's the worst piece of business advice you've ever received? Whew, I don't know. I guess, you know, I have buddies when you're looking at real estate who, when we kind of hit on this, who will buy properties based off strict appreciation. They feel like the area they, they, they're investing in is always going to continue to grow up. So yeah, I'm losing, you know, I'll be losing three or 400 bucks a month, but it's going to appreciate over time. And, uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily advice to me, but it's, it's, it's mindset of other people. And, um, I would advise you to steer clear of that. Sure. Okay. So if, if you ever watched Wayne's world, you're about, you know, we're in that age group, you've seen Wayne's world. So, uh, when you, uh, when I, when I say this, make this reference, you'll get it. Uh, you can't play stairway to heaven and, and give me the, the concept, the answer of rich dad, poor dad. What, <laughs> what one real estate investing book do you recommend to everybody? I love Brandon Turner's, the, uh, book on rental property investing. It yeah. is a great foundation. Yeah. I'm about three quarters of the way through that one actually right now, just listening to it. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of great tips in there. So um, what are you reading now and would you recommend it to, to people? I just finished the one page marketing plan and I would recommend that to everybody, especially if you're trying to build a brand or just want to learn how to market and sell in today's day and age. That's huge. And then another one I'm reading is Traction. Uh, I'm terrible at building systems and processes and, you know, I'm taking over a business and that's something I got to get a little bit stronger at. And I got a hard copy of it right over my shoulder. Do you really? Yeah. You got a retraction. Yep. Yep. So um, I, I, I especially keep pushing that type of book because, and, and I'm sure people are tired of hearing me say this, but I, as far as I'm concerned, we live in a society that we, we romanticize the hustle and the grind for the detriment of our what we're trying to achieve, which is not financial freedom, but getting our time back, yeah. you know, and without being the processes and procedures, you're never going to achieve it. Um, but anyway, agreed. I'll get off my my high horse now on that. But <laughs> no, that's good stuff. So uh, if you could go back into time, you know, I guess it's a little over three years now when you first starting real estate investing, what advice would you give your younger self? If I could go back to when I started real estate, um, or if I go back before, then I would have said start buying properties earlier, um, start earlier, you know, take the jump earlier. There's that fear. If you guys haven't bought one yet, I know how you're feeling inside. It's you know what's on the other side of this, the unknown. Are they gonna you know is the tenant gonna tear the house down? Is it gonna burn down? Are they gonna pay? Am I gonna go in foreclosures? All this bad stuff gonna happen. Uh, the chances are no. And if they do, then there's you know caveats to help mitigate those issues. So I would tell myself to start earlier. And if I could go back even farther, I got into the corporate world right out of college. Uh, I worked at a company called CentOS and I've kind of been in the corporate world since and it's worked out. I've done, you know, I don't, I'm not a CentOS still, but I'm a med device now. It's been great. But I would have told my 22 year old self, 
take chances, um, you know, kind of be a, more of a wild card for the first, you know, five or six years and, um, you know, chase your dreams a little bit more than just going straight into the, uh, straight into the rat race. Right. No, that's great advice. And, and uh, real estate investing and for business ownership for that matter, just takes, there's something about, you know, if you would have asked me not too long ago regarding the importance of mindset, I would have told you that a lot of it is a bunch of hooey, but the more that I've grown into this, the more I realize how important it is. So what are the steps or what do you do to maintain your positive mindset when you, when you're doing this? I believe I do a good job of setting goals. And so I, you have to start with where do you want to be? Like, what are you trying to achieve? What do you want your life to look like? And then once you have that, then you can put steps in place to reach that. And so if I am working on the things that I wrote out to get me to where I want to get, then I am fulfilled. And so that's what I do. I work on the things that I think are going to get me the product and the result that I want down the road. And as long as I'm doing that, then I'm happy, fulfilled. And obviously there's days, you know, right now I'm in this, you know, I'm buying this insurance company, I'm doing some other stuff and, you know, I'm building this course out for Finance Cowboy. And so right now I'm bogged down with a lot of things that aren't necessarily my strength. I'm getting licensed and I'm sitting down and building out PowerPoints and presentation. Like, I don't love that. I'd rather sit on a podcast and talk all day, create content, hang out with people. You know, so there's dog days like that where you're just like, man, but I, I, even when I'm getting, you know, down in the dumps or frustrated on those days, I look and I say, why am I doing that? Like, yeah, I'm kind of in the trenches right now, but it's for a goal that I know that I want to achieve and it has to be done. And, you know, some of this stuff, I do what I'm strong at and I try to, you know, another great book is who, not how I try to give stuff off, um, you know, to people who are good at what I'm not doing. There's some stuff that you just have to do. Like only you can do it and it may not be your strength. You got to suck it up and do it. So, you know, that's kind of where I'm at and just focusing on where I want to be gets me through those times. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you sharing that uh, again, financecowboy.com. But before I let you go, JD, is there a question or concept you wished we would have covered here today? Oh man. Um, I guess a question or concept I wish, you know, we would have covered today is maybe, you know, how, what was the background? What made me get into real estate? What, you know, what, what's the story of how I got into real estate and the things in my life that led me to, you know, real estate and the success I am now. Okay. Well, why don't we go down that road if you have the time? Yeah, man, we can do it real quick. Yeah. So tell us the story. So, um, you know, I've always been in my mind, a driven individual, you know, like I said, I adopted the who, not how, or not who, not how the pay now play later concept when I was young. And my goal was to play division one baseball. And, um, you know, I, I decided very, very young that I was going to do everything I needed to do to do that. You know, I was going to sacrifice stuff to, to reach that goal. And I did and played in Charleston, South Carolina. And, you know, I get done with, uh, work or get done with school and it's time to go to work. And, you know, it's like, everybody, I kind of, unless you're going to school for a particular thing, I think everybody kind of hits that point of like, what do I want to do with my life? You know, where, where am I going? I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I'm not a lawyer. So what am I going to do here? And uh, my uncle said, why don't you try to, you know, work yourself in sales eventually? You know, I think you would do good at that. So I said, fine, what's the best company to learn sales at? And I looked it up and a lot of people said CentOS. So I went to work at CentOS, started on a truck, delivering clean uniforms, picking up dirty ones, changing out urinal cakes. And, um, you know, I did a really good job of growing my week, weekly route volume. And it was like hot. It was like July in Charleston. And I was like, you know what? I really hate this grunt work part of the job. Like, I really love selling. And I'm tired of doing it for them. And I get an opportunity to get into 
pharmaceutical cells and then, um, you know, med device. And throughout that journey, you know, I, I saw that the sales skill was scalable and that you could increase your income. And I think when you look at investing in general or you look at getting that time freedom back sooner and that financial freedom income is kind of the fuel that generates that, that, that keeps that going and, and it determines the speed at which you achieve it. And so, you know, my mindset became like, how can I, we all have the same amount of time in the day. What can I do to give me the most income that I can then apply to give me freedom quicker um, out of anything, you know, and that was sales for me. And I just kept climbing different industries and the sales ladder to, to I landed in, I think what is the Mecca of sales and that's medical device, which has now allowed me to get, you know, a high income. And, you know, I started making that money and I, you know, and even before, you know, I was, you know, started dabbling in real estate, but, um, and I get serious about my finances. And like we talked about earlier, I was like, I got to get rid of consumer debt. Like I got to get my home in order and we take care of that. And we build up our emergency fund and we're driving beat up cars. And, um, you know, I get to this point where I got everything in order and it's time to invest. And it's like, what am I going to invest in? And I look around and my best friends invest in real estate and his network, other people in my network. And I look at my father-in-law who was, you know, in his late 60s, 70s, and he had a bunch of real estate and he was successful. And real estate, in my mind, had led more people to become millionaires, become financially free than anything else. Not to say the stock market's bad or any other investment, but real estate seemed to be the way to go. And so when I made that decision, it was like, okay, let's learn everything we can about it. So I started reading books, the Brandon Turner books, listening to Bigger Pockets, listening to other podcasts, and I really took in that knowledge. And I had a mentor in my best friend, which I think is huge, because when it came time to finally to put that knowledge to work, I had somebody to nudge me and take that emotion of fear that was holding me back, put it to the side, get me to see logic and say, OK, look, I know it's scary to make this jump, but logically it's riskier to not invest in real estate than it is to rest, invest in real estate. Your future is worse off by you not taking this jump than you taking this jump. And when I finally realized that and brainwashed myself with that, uh, I bought the first property and became an addiction. And I say an addiction, that's a bad word, but it, you know what I'm saying? You buy that first one, it's like, I got to go get the next one. And you know, I look back and now it's four years later and you know, got 21 properties and, um, you know, I've made some money off one about to make a you know, decent chunk of change off the other and still, still going to have 20 in the portfolio. So it's a great ride and uh, I recommend all you guys get started. Yeah. And, and you, you talked about your sales background. I think there's a, there's some need there. Like what, what type of training did you go through at, at these different companies that you found really beneficial and did you supplement it in at all, at all through books or self-training? Yeah, they did a great job. They were very hands-on. And so I think even before I got into sales training, um, the, the role I had, which was grunt work, being out on the route, I had to interact with a lot of customers. And so you kind of learn how people think and what they need. And so like really just picking that up and, and you know, how, how people are thinking when they own a business and what's going to make them spend. And then when you go through the training, the trainings that I went through, um, I did supplement, you know, with some books, you know, the R little red book of selling the, I think that's a get Jeff Gittimer, you know, the Zig Ziglar stuff, but they had me read, um, books as well, like the sales Bible. And I had, I was putting presentations together off of what I had read. And so it was very in depth. And so it really made you think through the process. And then like a lot of that stuff you read and you get trained on is kind of like, I don't know, Manila, you know, it's very, it seems like, 
robotic. You can't actually go talk like that to people in real life, in my opinion, or it just doesn't go over well. But you can take those principles, apply it to your personality. And then you learn that sales is just helping people out. You know, it's like coming to a conclusion with them that they actually need this product and then providing it with them. And so, um, you know, I, I absolutely love the profession. Yeah. Well, JD, this was a great conversation. I'll hope you come back again sometime. I would love to talk uh, as you settle into business ownership and and that process. Um, One last time, financecowboy.com, but we'll see you next time. Thank you. Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.